Thanks for tuning in to this podcast on KPOV.org. The following conversation with Ranger Randy and Dr. Danielle McKay, geologist and instructor at the University of Oregon, aired on the Sasquatch Hideaway as a series on KPOV 88.9 FM, Bend, Oregon, in 2018. In this segment, we will learn about Dr. McKay and hear how the landmass that is Oregon came to be and how tectonic forces created what we know today. I am a geologist. My focus is on uh, volcanoes. So I'm a volcanologist. I study volcanoes. And most of my research has actually been on cinder cone eruptions. And we have a lot of cinder cones in central Oregon. So this is a great place to focus on cinder cones. And I teach geology for the University of Oregon, but mostly online. So I live in Bend, teach online courses, and then summer field courses where students come to central Oregon and look at volcanoes on field trips. So can anyone take your classes or is it just for students that are in that program? Anyone can take my classes. They do, you know, since they are through the university, there's quite a hefty tuition <laughs> that goes along with those courses. Most of the universities in Oregon have a program where if you're 65 or over, you can audit courses for a very reduced rate or for free. So that is an option. And then I am working with the University of Oregon to develop some community education programs in Central Oregon, where there would be a fee, but it wouldn't be anything nearly like tuition. So stay tuned for that. That's kind of a program that's in the works. So what made you decide to become a geologist? Well, I grew up in Oregon and grew up in a family that did a lot of hiking and camping and skiing, like most people in Oregon, and just loved mountains and loved being outside and happened to take a geology course in my first year of college. And that seems to happen to a lot of people. They happen to take a geology course and are swayed over to majoring in geology. And I think a lot of that is just the nature of geology. There's a lot of field work, there's a lot of being outside, and it gives you these tools to read landscapes. So if you're a person who spends a lot of time outside and spends a lot of time in mountains or other dramatic scenery, um, to have these tools to be able to read how that landscape formed is really exciting. We have a lot of crazy stuff in Oregon, <laughs> especially, I mean, I mean, it's all one big volcano, it would seem. Yeah, so geology of Oregon, um, it is a very volcanic area, and here in central Oregon, pretty much everything you see in the landscape is, is volcanic. There are some faults, so there are some places in central Oregon where earthquakes have offset layers of rock, and so you see maybe some some hills or dips in the landscape because of faults. There are some places where rivers have eroded canyons, but other than that, most of the features that we see are volcanic. So when you look out towards the Cascades, certainly, every little bump that you see on the landscape is a volcano. It's not just the big snow-covered peaks that we see. It's everything uh, kind of between us and the big snow-covered volcanoes. And when you look south from the Bend or Redmond area, you see Newberry Volcano um, and a lot of the cinder cones that are dotting the flanks of Newberry Volcano. And then when you look towards the east, the southeast, the northeast, again, you're seeing a lot of volcanic features in those directions. So yeah, we are, especially here in Central Oregon, we are surrounded by volcanoes, uh, but much of the history of the state is volcanic. It just amazes me what has happened geologically in Oregon. I mean, so like, how many millions of years ago was it Idaho was the West Coast? Idaho was kind of prime coastal real estate about 60, 65 million years ago. And everything to the west of the Oregon-Idaho 
border, what is now the Oregon-Idaho border, um, has been added onto. And, and that process has been islands out in the Pacific Ocean or small pieces of continent have been kind of rafted over on the back of uh, a, a plate that is now gone. It's called the Farallon Plate. And there's a little tiny remnant of it called the Juan de Fuca Plate, um, which you might hear about from time to time off the coast of Oregon and Washington and uh, southern British Columbia and northern California. So that small Juan de Fuca Plate was a much larger plate called the Farallon Plate. And any islands that were sitting on that plate, um, as soon as that plate collided with North America, the plate kind of was sucked down beneath the North American continent and the islands on the back of that plate were scraped onto the edge of Oregon. Yeah, everything kind of west of, of the Oregon-Idaho border has been added onto. And that's, you know, most of Oregon. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and it's not just Oregon, it's most of the West Coast that was built this way. In Washington, all the way up through British Columbia, into Alaska, down into California. The, the true edge of the North American continent is really more, you know, towards the Oregon-Idaho border, and everything else has been has been added over time. If it's been added, accreted, I guess, uh -huh. accreted, so over the last 65 million years, is that correct? Well, for longer than that, actually. If you kind of want to pick a time for when was... Uh, when was the ocean at Idaho? It's roughly 60, 65 million years ago. Um, but that accretion process has been going on for 200 million years, adding, adding slivers of land to the continent. So is that mostly since it was ocean? Is I, I assume that didn't have much height. It was just kind of... Oregon. Sea level? <laughs> you mean Oregon? Yeah. 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 Oregon was underwater. Um, so if you think of the coastline being in various places, let's imagine it at the Oregon Idaho border, but at times it was even farther east than that. So Oregon was completely underwater. And um, that is one big reason why we don't have any dinosaur fossils in Oregon. Uh, the dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago, along with a lot of other species on Earth. And there is one species, Plesiosaur, which is a swimming dinosaur, which has been found in Oregon. But since we were underwater, uh, there weren't any dinosaurs roaming around on, on, in Oregon. There were a lot of deposits. You can go to places in Oregon and find rocks that were deposited during that time. And those deposits are things like mudstone, which were muddy sediments that were deposited in the ocean. And then, you know, were subsequently buried and compacted and cemented over time to form these solid rocks that we call mudstone. But really, in their geologic history, they were, you know, loose, muddy sediments. And then Oregon became, you know, dry land in that process of islands being accreted onto the edge of the continent, really building the west coast of the continent out. And then once the Cascade Volcanoes started erupting, which the earliest form of the Cascade Volcanoes was about 40 million years ago, then that really built parts of Oregon up above sea level because those volcanoes were you know, building a mountain range. And there were other volcanic ranges that were even older than that. The Ochicos are the remnants of older volcanoes that were perhaps somewhat similar to the Cascades, uh, but also building Oregon up above sea level. Okay, so what about the, like the steam? The steams are younger than uh, those old volcanoes that, that we see now as the old eroded Ochicos or the very early phases of the Cascade volcanoes. Um, the Steens 
were formed by lava flows erupting uh, about 17 million years ago um, in southeastern Oregon. And by that time, southeastern Oregon and most of Oregon really was above sea level. It was a little bit more like what we would recognize now. It wasn't underwater. So these massive eruptions occurred all throughout eastern Oregon. And collectively, they're known as the Columbia River basalts. Mm -hmm. But the Steens basalts are part of that. So Steens Mountain wasn't there. Uh, it was, you know, flatter topography. These basalt lava flows were erupting from fissures or cracks that were opening in the ground, much like what we see happening right now in Hawaii, mm -hmm. but on a much bigger picture. You know, these, these were way more cracks and fissures opening in the ground and way more lava coming out. So 17 million years ago, that's kind of what was going on in eastern Oregon and along the Oregon-Idaho border. Some of those lava flows made their way down the ancestral Columbia River all the way to the coast of Oregon. Uh, they ended up covering most of eastern Oregon in the, in the Steens, what, what we call the Steens basalts and the Columbia River basalts. They covered most of southeastern Washington. So this just was a massive eruption of basalt lava flows. And they would have solidified to form the dark black rock that we see in many lava flows here in central Oregon and lava flows in Hawaii. And then much later than that, after these lava flows were erupted, they had solidified, they had formed solid rock, then faults uh, earthquakes actually offset those layers. And if you think of, you know, fairly small earthquakes happening over several million years, that can actually wedge up a big mountain range like the Steens. So if you visit the Steens today in southeastern Oregon and you stand on the summit of Steens Mountain and you look down to the Alvord Valley, you're looking down, you know, thousands of feet. That was all uplifted through faults or little earthquakes over time. How long did those eruptions last to create those Columbia River basalts. The eruptions, uh, the most of the basalt that was erupted came out fairly early in geologic time, so 17 million years ago, 16 million years ago, kind of in that range. And then they continued to about 6 million years ago. So that's a good chunk of time, about 10 million years, but overwhelmingly most of that basalt was erupted early, and they really kind of tailed off in how much um, volume was produced in those eruptions later on. In the geologic scope of time, it was a very impressive outpouring of a lot of lava almost all at once. So do um, we know what caused that? Well, that is a, a kind of a focus of, of ongoing research. What causes these big outpourings of basalt lava? One idea is that it was a hot spot similar to what uh, we think has formed the Hawaiian Islands. So the, the eruptions that are feeding volcanoes at the Hawaiian Islands are caused by a kind of a plume of warm material rising up from deep in the earth. It's very easy to think of that as a, a molten material rising up from deep in the earth, but it isn't. It's actually solid, hot mantle material. The layer of the earth beneath the crust is the mantle. And solid, hot mantle material is sort of buoyantly rising up. When it gets up to the crust of the earth, it actually does cause a lot of melting. And that melted material then comes up to the surface as, as lava flows. So that's what a hot spot is, is this upwelling of this warm mantle material that generates a lot of magma. The magma erupts and feeds volcanoes. And meanwhile, the plate, the crust of the earth, rides over that hot spot. So you 
have a place with continuous volcanic activity like the Hawaiian Islands, and you form a chain of volcanoes as this plate moves across this stationary hotspot or hot mantle material rising up. So we think that's happening in Hawaii, and we can see really great evidence for it. We think perhaps that happened 17 million years ago to form the Columbia River basalts, but we can't go back in time to really test that theory out. However, there is uh, what we think is a hot spot at Yellowstone National Park. So there's a lot of volcanic activity at Yellowstone. That looks like it's a place where hot material is rising up from deep in the mantle. It's generating magma, and that magma is feeding volcanic eruptions. And if we kind of trace back through time the movement of the plates, or the North American plate, 17 million years ago, that hot spot would have been in about the right place to cause the Columbia River basalts. So that's kind of our, our best idea. There are a lot of geologists who spend their careers looking for evidence to kind of piece together. Did that happen? And if so, what are the details of how it happened? Obviously, that Snake River Plain, right? That's a yeah. volcanic activity. And it has left a track of volcanoes, much like a hot spot would. I've also heard that possibly when the North American plate encountered that hot spot, if that's what happened, that it may have sheared part of it off and caused more eruptions that way? Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, not? so there's a lot of study in really geophysics, you know, study of, of how do plates move and what happens beneath these plates when they encounter things like hot spots. And you can imagine that, uh, you know, in a lot of the sciences, we can create exper experiments to sort of test these ideas. And you can imagine that would be really difficult with the Earth. We can't build a planet or a continent and a hotspot to kind of test these things out. But geophysicists really try to model using oftentimes computer models. What would happen then if you have a hotspot, a, a sort of this plume of stationary hot material coming up from deep in the mantle, you have a plate riding over the top of that, but you also have a subducting plate because I mentioned this Farallon plate, this ancient plate that used to exist off the coast of Oregon and Washington. When it collided with North America, it was pushed down underneath North America, it subducted. Now the last little remnant of it, the Juan de Fuca plate, is still subducting. Perhaps that subducting plate actually dragged the hot spot and you know it's really kind of hard for radio but we need to think when we're thinking of this process and in three dimensions you have one plate at the top you have one plate subducting underneath it you have a hot spot coming in to this whole sort of meeting of these plates perhaps that subducting plate beheaded the hot spot just completely cut through it and perhaps there was you know a, a pulse of activity after that as the hot spot kind of got going again Perhaps part of that hotspot was dragged uh, off to the west by the continuous western movement of the North American plate. I think your listeners are probably getting a good idea that we're, we're getting into something that's very hard to, <laughs> to explain over radio. You need um, a, sort of a three-dimensional model to show it. But yeah, that, that is a possibility that part of that hotspot material got dragged off to the west and fed volcanoes to the west. And if you look in southeastern Oregon, we think 17 million years ago that hotspot was just sort of in the southeast corner of Oregon, kind of in the Oahe region. So if you look northeast from that Oahe area in southeastern Oregon, you can see this trail of volcanoes that the hotspot, the Yellowstone hotspot, maybe has created across the Snake River Plain. And if you look northwest, you can see sort of this track of volcanoes through southeastern Oregon. 
that perhaps that hotspot created. And that, again, is lots of ongoing research uh, trying to figure out, could that happen? Is that all a possibility? And then, so that's sort of the geophysics side. And then looking at detailed chemistry of the rocks, because hotspot activity leaves kind of a signature, mm. geochemical signature. Um, so taking samples of the rocks that were erupted from volcanoes and seeing if they match what we would expect to see from a hotspot. I hope you enjoyed this podcast on KPOV, your high desert community radio station. Go to kpov.org for more information and our program schedule. We value your feedback, so please send any comments or suggestions to podcast at kpov.org.